Welcome to the Vortex Nation podcast, brought to you by lovers of hunting, shooting, public lands, the Second Amendment, and good food. What's up, everybody? We've got Ruben and Adam across the table from Mark and Jimmy here on the mic. And uh, Ruben and Adam, you guys are like the suppressor boys because we bring you on anytime it seems we talk about suppressors or lots of, you know, just NFA related things. Today, we want to talk about the topic of suppressors and accuracy because there seems to be some schools of thought out there as though sticking a suppressor on the end of your gun can either degrade your accuracy or improve your accuracy or that there is no change at all, actually. Mm. And so... Let's uh, let's dive into that. For I don't know where do you guys want to start. What what, what should we? I think we got to define a few things. All I right, think we define accuracy and precision. Yes, and then we define what type of effects that a gun that a suppressor might have on a gun. Yes. So accuracy being how tight of a group does my gun shoot? Right, they can have an effect on that. They can also have an effect on precision, which is your ability to put the round where you want it. Right. Sure. So, so accuracy is taking the shooter out of the equation. Precision is gun and shooter together as one. That's a good way to explain it. Okay. Yeah. Um. So I would say there's a couple of different ways to look at it, right? Because does a supp- a suppressor can affect your your precision by having a point of impact shift, right? And that can be a good thing or a bad thing. As long as you know what that is, it it it's okay, right? It's not a bad thing. But like we're taking a 14 ounce weight and hanging it on the end of the barrel. A lot of times we'll see just a straight up, you're hitting low now. Right. So that can happen. Mm-hmm. Okay? okay. And we'll dive into all these mm-hmm. two, but like, mm-hmm. and then you've got, so that would be like a, a point of impact shift because of the weight of the suppressor, simply pulling your barrel down. Mm-hmm. You got to, you got to like think of a Tika T3 light. The barrel's pretty thin. Adding a 14 ounce suppressor to a 22 ounce barrel is it's, it's a high percentage of that, that whole system's weight, and now yeah. you're just you're, sure you're dipping. Sure, that's right? what you're, I wanted. Uh, to, I was going to ask about that because you see a lot of these, you know, kind of lightweight sporting rifles, even mm-hmm. even you know, geared more towards a hunting application, yep. but they're threaded for you know a break or a suppressor. Yep. Yeah, if and, you're curious about barrel tuning and muzzle weights on the end of your barrel, you should check out the Long Range 1003 podcast we did with Ian Clem. He talked about how he tunes his barrel with this fancy weight that he uh, threads in and out on his rifle. So. That makes sense now. I get why. Is that that's pretty much the primary reason people talk about a there's POI? A, there's shift. a couple of things too. There so are. then okay. you've got then you've got an interference, like a interference with the the gas, the pressure that's coming, uh, following the bullet out of the barrel, right? Because some of that gas will slip out in front of the the bullet. That's why when you watch the History Channel documentary, high speed, right, you always see a little bit of smoke come out first, and then the bullet exits, right? So specifically, some of those, just with a suppressor? No, no. Uh, any type of firearm. Oh, Sometimes, a lot of times, gas slips out around the bullet and comes out first. So you've got that and the gases that are following the bullet that can cause interference as they enter a baffle stack inside of the suppressor, the baffles. Um, some baffles allow the gas to go up and around the baffles. Some allow, they have just a single single through hole through the middle. Some have like interference holes that are allowing gases to come. So like basically you've got this turbulence that follows the bullet 
out of the gun. And some suppressor manufacturers say they don't have a point of impact shift. And that can be true in terms of the, we'll call it the turbulence that's, that can affect the bullet's flight. But those same suppressors, when they're on the right gun, they can still have a point of impact shift because it's a weight on the end of the barrel, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got, you've got like a few different things to think about. You've got the turbulence or interference with the gases as it's following the bullet and those gases enter the suppressor. Those gases swirl behind the bullet and can cause some like vacuum effect. Then you've got the actual weight of the suppressor hanging on the barrel. And then you've also got a little bit like Ian talked about, you've got barrel harmonics that can change things. Right. So there are a few different ways to look at it more than just like, do they affect accuracy? You know Yeah. And I think it's also one of those things like there's no free lunch in a suppressor design. Suppressors can be designed with an emphasis on certain things. Hmm. So if point of impact shift is a concern, a suppressor can be designed around that. And we saw that in some of the early designs like... uh, in the uh, the OpSync can used on the Mark 12, that was a that was a specification of the militaries. It could not have a suppressor shift, so they used an overbarrel suppressor with a collar on the on the barrel. So as it slid all the way back, the barrel had an additional collar that the the suppressor indexed against to get that suppressor shift. Or um, uh, like we were talking in a previous episode, some suppressors are designed around not having first round pop or first round flash, or and some are to, designed around not having. Uh, back pressure. Yeah, not around back pressure. Some are designed to just be accurate, no point of impact shift. So it's always a trade-off. Some some suppressors designs are able to get one or the other. Mm. Very rarely can you have like all five of the things that make a suppressor awesome. Yeah. Hmm. There's also that that you know not just a point of impact shift because a point of impact shift isn't always bad if yeah. it's repeatable. Right. Right. So you think about a lot of suppressors. We've got like two different types of attachment. You've got direct thread, and you've got like a quick release mm-hmm. type or quick attach, however you want to say it. Mike Pappas says quick release because you don't really ever need to put it on quickly, but sometimes you need to take it off. So you've got the quick attach, quick release, direct thread, and then you've got some that have like a muzzle adapter. So you still have to thread the suppressor on. However, there's already like a muzzle brake. So if you looked at like... Um, like this one here? Yeah, so, so yeah, some, something like that. But also, like, um, Liberty Suppressors has a, a can that you still have to thread it on, but you actually put the thread adapter on the barrel first. So it's like a break, but it's threaded. Whereas, like, a quick-release suppressor, like a, the Spec War, um, if you're talking OSS, like the um, the QD series of, uh, of suppressors, they'll have almost, like, an Acme thread. So it's a yeah. big thread. So, like one turn or a turn and a half okay, and it's right. on and then there'll be some sort of locking mechanism. Oh yeah. I would I would look also like the Q suppressors. Um Kevin Brittingham's company Q has the cherry bomb you thread onto your gun. It uses a taper lock system. Mm-hmm. And then there's external threads, like a lot of them. Like you you have to probably turn the suppressor three or four times full full turns to get it on. So it's not I wouldn't actually call that like a quick release or a quick attach, but it's not it's also not a direct thread because it's using an adapter. Yeah. Gotcha. I kind of put them in three categories. Like you're saying, you got direct thread. That just is what it is. Quick attach is kind of like the spec war or the surefire or something like that or the dead air. 
where it goes on and it ratchets. Right. Mm-hmm. Although that okay. air kind of fits into this middle category. The middle category that we're seeing a lot now is a tapered shoulder acme thread. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the hybrid between the two. It's pretty quick on and off, but there's no like mechanical latch okay. system. Like, right. Like a surefire just goes on, it indexes off a certain spot and then it and then it locks the lock on. pulls it tight. We're seeing a lot a lot of or a lot of manufacturers move more towards that tapered shoulder. And that, in part, is back to this conversation, is it's the consistency of the can being on there for... And usually the repeatable they, point of yeah, impact, right? Yeah, they usually say there's going to be a shift, um, but it's more desirable for it to be predictable. I don't know that there's a whole lot of people chasing no point of impact shift. They well, just want it to be predictable. So Thunder, Thunder Beast is one of the companies that usually like advertises a very low point of impact shift yep. and yep. they have very light suppressors Yep, and they're, yeah. uh, they're threaded on using an adapter. So like, like yep. kind of like the Q. Yeah. They like were one the, of the first kind of tapered yeah, shoulder Yeah. So it's ones. like a tapered shoulder mount. And I think that's a big thing. So they're achieving that both by not having a real heavy suppressor. So you're not actually pulling the barrel down okay, right. very much, but also by having a suppressor that has a baffle stack that has, you know, turbulence or the least amount of turbulence or interference in regards to the back pressure of the bullet. Gotcha. When you guys are saying tapered shoulder, I'm almost picturing like the collet system in the machines downstairs. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like yeah. basically yep. a triangular co- conical shape. Yes. That yep. then can index up in and it's much more self-centering. Uh, repeatable. Self-centering. Yep. Self-centering. Yep. It's much more repeatable than like square shoulders butting up yeah, against. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Huh. Yep. So that was kind of, I guess I don't, I don't, I'll pretend to know, but yeah, that's kind of what they arrived at as a simple way to mass produce something that was repeatable. Yeah. That was kind of a problem with, with some of those first designs, like the over barrel ones, because they had that collar on there and it had to be in the right place mm-hmm. and it could be moved or it, you know, it could come out of, out of sync. So as they started moving that tapered shoulder concept up towards the muzzle devices, because the consumer market wanted a can that could go to various hosts that was a way that they could consistently move a can across various hosts and and get a, a repeatable okay. attachment. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Is any one more secure or less secure than another? Man, when they're hot, they're all on there. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going to say, like, typically suppressors are going to be made out of, you know, real common, like, low-cost suppressors, stainless steel. I want to say, like, 17.4 stainless steel. And then you have the baffles a lot of times are made out of different materials too. So you'll have like titanium. Uh, a lot of suppressors have titanium outer, like mm-hmm. a titanium sleeve. So the outer por- portion, the, the walls will be titanium. And then the baffles could be either Inconel or there's even lightweight suppressors like like the one uh, Lightweight Dave has taken on a hunt is actually got the first stack is titanium and then the last baffle stack towards the muzzle is actually aluminum. So, oh, okay. but that's so the first stack being the one you would expect to maybe get this, a strike if there was one. Is it stronger? Uh, no, material no, or? actually it's stronger. Yeah. So the reason why you would go with something that's like the first series of baffles be a stronger material is just because you have that initial blast chamber as the bullet exits the muzzle oh. and that gas hits, it's got a huge amount of volume that it's moving outward as fast as it can until it hits its limit. Mm-hmm. Which would be the outer wall of the suppressor, and so that that will they'll call it a blast chamber, right? Like the first mm-hmm. chamber or first series would be like a blast chamber, and then pressure reduces over time and distance. So so your secondary set of baffles is aluminum mm-hmm. because 
well, and that, that suppressor also is, it's a low volume, right? It's a low volume suppressor that you're not taking to the range and doing mag dumps with. But if you wanted to run a suppressor on a backcountry hunt or something, you probably don't need that. Right. Carry yeah. around a, a 17 ounce suppressor. One, maybe two shots. That one's a nine ounces. So yeah. And and by low volume, like what do you mean by that? Like it's maybe shorter. Like oh, or, low volume um, in terms of round oh, yeah. round count. Oh okay. So less less shots spread apart more. Gotcha. Yeah. So gotcha. can still handle a 300 short, but not 25 rounds in a row. Mm-hmm. But there's yeah. a trade off, right? The durability yeah. for weight. Let's be honest. People who are shooting 300 short. Don't really care about suppressors. They might <laughs> come around. Someone does. Someone <laughs> does. I'm just kidding. For any of you who are just tuning into your first Vortex Nation podcast episode, there is an ongoing thing with Mark and myself. Hey, uh, anyway, so, so yeah, there's. Uh, I, I guess I forgot what the question was that prompted that, but there's a variety of materials that can be used, mm-hmm. and usually we'll see. The suppressors that are, I don't know, I guess lighter weight and maybe not as quiet have the least amount of shift or the least amount of, yep. I guess, effect on the gun. Okay. It's almost like you, I've seen this trend of like this trade off where it's like, well, it doesn't shift, but it's not super quiet. And things are changing over time. But like historically, mm, yeah. there was like all these trade offs that you have to go through. And like, I don't know, the, ba- the Ops Inc. can that Adam's talking about, it's this long. Yeah, so it's not like 14 if, inches. Yeah, yeah it, that's it, a big it, suppressor. Yeah, so that's the size, right? That's mm-hmm. that's a big deal. So when earlier when you mentioned, you know, volume and you were referring to to round count, what popped in my head was kind of the different shapes and sizes that suppressors come I, in. I some, actually thought that too. Some okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like so what's what's happening there like, you know, what is like kind of like you know you see maybe a, a, a short fat squatty suppressor versus one that's longer or maybe it does have more air volume in it is one is the trade-off with the small one it's like yeah you're getting a lightweight suppressor and it's not a maybe hanging yeah. off your barrel further but you're getting less sound suppression or what's going on there yeah so there's a lot of things yeah it's it's the amount of suppression you can get from a can is a function of how much internal volume the unit has and then uh how close the center orifice or the bore how close the walls of those baffles can be to the bullet and essentially how much of a seal do you get on the gases yeah. behind the bullet okay that's where like shooting a 556 five, bullet through a 30 cal can doesn't have a good seal so a 30 right. cal can sounds better with a 30 caliber bullet but to put it into perspective if you were thinking about a 30 cal suppressor running a 556 five, okay mm-hmm. so now i can throw that suppressor on a a lot of different guns that I own. I can run that on my, my 300 Win Mag, 300 PRC. I can run it on a 308, a 6.5. Yes, you have a very small reduction in the actual effectiveness as as that tolerance between the bore and the bullet mm-hmm. gets bigger. It will reduce less yep. noise. But to give you an almost like a, a from-the-field example, like a 223 running on a 16-inch AR, okay? Mm-hmm. If you ran a 30 cal suppressor on that and they advertised it was a 130 decibel suppressor with 308, it's probably 133 decibels with 223. So it's. But that's three times. Thir- wait. No, no, 10 is. Ten. It's 30 times louder. 
No. It doesn't sound <laughs> no, like a lot. No, every 10 it's... decibels is twice as loud. Oh. So it's probably about 20 to 30%. On the meter, it's probably not going to read, you know, it's going to read differently, and the numbers probably won't look that different, but the tone's going to be different. Yeah. So okay. dedicated 5.56 cans sound better than 30 caliber cans in some cases. Yeah. But I think but, th- to answer your question, though, like the trade-off is how much suppression do you want and how much are you willing to sacrifice on added weight mm-hmm. and added length? So, like, on the tactical side, that's where we see a lot of the uh, the K-style cans or the Kurtz cans because they're just trying to take something obnoxious and make it, like, borderline Bearable. safe. Yeah. Just, like, tolerable. Yeah. Well, like, think when about, you come yeah. in the stack and yeah. you shoot right here next to your buddy, yeah. he can still hear. Yeah. Ish. Whereas, like, on, on the consumer market, well, they don't, you know, a lot of those folks want to be able to shoot without hearing protection. Okay, well, that takes a pretty big can. Okay. Or, you know, if you're backpacking it into the country, kind of backcountry, same deal. Like, I want some suppression, but I'm not willing to carry something that's two pounds. You yeah. know, so that's that's the honorable yeah. there, there, there is, I mean, Adam's 100% right. There's a direct correlation between the suppressor's volume mm-hmm. and how how it suppresses. Yeah. Right. Right. But there's also typically a longer suppressor is going to have different back pressure than a shorter suppressor suppressor. Mm-hmm. So Adam mentioned the K can. So one that we use a lot down at the indoor range is the dead air Sandman K. So it's a, about four inches long. And since the muzzle device is like two and a half inches long, it only really adds a couple of inches to the overall length of the gun that suppressor has a much different back pressure than, say, a full-length Silencerco Omega or something mm-hmm. like back that. Back pressure right? being just how much stagnant air is sitting in the can that your bullet is basically going to run into when it leaves the barrel. Is that what you're I talking about? I think what it's doing pressure? with the gas, right? Because yeah. what happens oh, when you the, shoot yeah, is okay. you have all these hot gases that are expanding rapidly. And number one, we're trying to re-divert them. So we're not just getting a pop. They don't just go out to the side. So they're trying to re-divert it. So that's why they have baffles that are, you know, either K-baffle or like a a cone baffle. And so that, as the bullet leaves, that gas is following it, but but it's becoming, it's caught by those baffles, right? And so Mm -hmm. it's being redirected. Well, what happens as it it stays in that can, as it cools off and and the volume decreases of the gas, um, it all happens extremely quick. But sometimes when you have more gas than the suppressor can handle, that gas is going to go back in and push backwards now, right? So we talked yeah. about it on how how an AR functions, right? Right. The gas tube that comes up and the gases follow it back and unlock your bolt, but then the actual pressure from the bullet and the gas that's pushing the bullet is what actuates your, your action. Mm-hmm. So what happens when you run a suppressor is now we trap a lot more gas because... When we're not running a suppressor, it's allowed to escape at the muzzle. It creates a big bang, right? Mm-hmm. Well, we're trapping that. We're trying to keep that gas from expanding and, and leaving the muzzle hmm. at, a ra- at a rapid rate that causes that noise. That's what's causing the noise. It's not just a boom like the powder burning. It's the gas expanding as it leaves the muzzle. Mm-hmm. So as we've trapped that gas now in the suppressor, that gas can have the opportunity and say... Uh, a semi-automatic firearm, so like anything that cycles automatically, it's different in a bolt gun. Let's, that's why a lot of times you'll you'll hear like bolt guns can be quieter mm-hmm. or more pleasant to shoot because that gas isn't escaping and coming back in your face like it can do in an in like an AR gas gas operated type firearm. So gotcha. 
with that being said, they can have some different effects depending on the size of the suppressor, the type of materials, the baffle orientation, but it's all a trade-off. Like you want quieter, okay, you're probably going to have a bigger, heavier suppressor. Mm -hmm. You want less back pressure, well, it's probably going to be a shorter suppressor, which again, if we're making the suppressor smaller, well, now what Mm -hmm. happens? The volume decreases. So there's all these trade-offs. I know we're talking about accuracy here, and we'll we'll get back into that for sure, but now I'm curious when we're talking about back pressure, uh, I suppose a suppressor could potentially change how your gun runs in terms of a semi-auto. So could your gun potentially, like, your bolt is going back too fast because there's a lot more back pressure than it it Yeah, carrier velocity increases. Yeah, well, like, remember, the, the reason a gun works at all is is a rapidly expanding gas pressure is taking the path of least resistance. Yeah. Path of least resistance is to push the soft bullet out the end of the barrel. In a semi-automatic gun, we now also have the whole operating system pressurized for a point in time, and we're going to take essentially the plug in the back of the chamber out. So now there gets to be another way for that gas to get out. Mm-hmm. Unsuppressed, it all still pretty much flows out the end of the barrel. But now that we've kind of put a, a funnel on the end or a, you know, a choke point for the gas on the front of the gun because we're trying to suppress the noise, that now allows a lot of the pressure to, to seek the path of res- least resistance out the back of the gun. And so that kind of dissipation in various, in various directions is also what, what channels the sound around. But yes, as, as the system is pressurized, and it's holding that pressure longer because we have a series of baffles on the end of the muzzle. It does have an opportunity to come back out, out the rear. Mm-hmm. So what those, what those baffles are doing is they're interrupting the flow of the, that gas. So as the gases are expanding in the suppressor, they're not only just going into the baffles and stopping. They're swirling, right? Mm-hmm, and so yeah. it's creating uh, almost a a barrier for any other gases that want to come out and follow the bullet out. Well, now you have this interference going through the center of the suppressor. These swirling gases are not letting all that gas follow the bullet out. They're trapping it. And so Hmm. that turns around and goes backwards. Or it doesn't go backwards. It's just the pressure isn't allowed to be relieved slowly because the bolt opens. Interesting. With all that trapped in there, and then if you start sending other rounds down range, does that... starts to stack up. Um, yeah. Especially in shorter Can barrel that, systems. That yeah. would seem to potentially affect your rifle's accuracy, I guess. If, like, rounds that are coming down the barrel are encountering more pressure than the first rounds, like the later rounds in your magazine. I think you would have if you're to really, probably if pretty you're really hard to sending, measure because the gun's also cycling that fast. And okay. Then, then it's and you're really shooting you know, pretty fast. We're talking full auto. I think, yeah, ex- yeah. I think expecting accuracy. that's what I was going to say is I think okay. you'd have to be in a full auto rate of fire of... 400 plus rounds per minute. Mm-hmm. That's fair. But Sometimes explaining these things that are, you know, physics mm-hmm. and science, it takes like five minutes to explain. <laughs> so you oh, think yeah. it happens slowly, but then you realize in reality yeah. it happens in milliseconds or something. Yeah. But well, yeah. and, and the temperature is building at this point too. I would say the temperature probably has, which more also to do with has it, an uh, effect. Sure. Than anything. Yeah. Yeah. But there's, there's documented cases on, especially because, because it's a military firearm, the M4 and the Mark 18, things like that. I mean, they have documented r- increased rates of, Increase cyclic rates as the guns heat up. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that, it can like, go. I think it can go from 650 to 850 RPM, like easily. Interesting. Yeah. Are there special considerations a person wants to make then 
to their system like oh i'm going to shoot suppress so i need to adjust something or yeah you mm-hmm. can you can get adjustable gas blocks mm-hmm. which don't really do anything to the bolt velocity per se however it it could unlock the bolt i guess less violently okay um, oh yeah well, we're yeah. kind of we're kind of altering but, the timing yeah. of unlocking the yeah. bolt so but the pressure in the barrels drop another thing you can do is go to like an h2 buffer a little, a little bit heavier mm-hmm. of a buffer, oh, okay. and then more mass to move. Well, yeah, in increasing the basically the what, what word am I looking for? It's not um, dwell time, but it it's um preloading the bolt yeah. heavier with more pressure, and so you're increasing because a buffer is just a, a weight that is added to your carrier cycle, right? Like so, it's like a s- increasing the mass of your cyclic system. Yeah. Okay. It's yeah. more inertia to get it moving. Yeah, so yeah. so going to a heavier buffer is something that you can do. Hmm. Adjustable carriers too. Yep. Um bootleg and surefire gemtech, they've done adjustable carriers. So you're you're basically adjusting the uh the bleed off in the bolt carrier itself or the expansion chamber in the bolt carrier. Yep. So instead of bleeding it at the gas block, they bleed it at the bolt carrier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a bunch of things you can do. I mean, if you run I mean Adam myself like will typically run a piston gun if you're going to yeah. run suppressed on an AR just they're cleaner they're they're built to be run suppressed yeah. and so okay. they, they typically run better yeah they're dumping more gash pressure at the muzzle end of yep. the gun than they are yeah. in the receiver venting a lot okay. of it out the bottom of the tube okay let's go back to accuracy here now so we'll do the old fast and furious gear switch now let's say like I get I, I, I know I've heard about the POI shift that mm-hmm. can happen. So that in theory could affect one's what we're saying precision. precision because if you aren't expecting the POI shift or you don't yet know uh, uh, or, or have a predictable POI shift, but you don't yet know what that is, then it can affect your precision. Yes, but but now let's get into the accuracy side of things. Can a suppressor affect the mechanical accuracy of your firearm slash does it affect? It that? can. Okay. It can. So it's in terms of like, let's say, same shooter, same day, same everything, same ammo, they might shoot a less tight three-round group or five-round group with a suppressor than they were without a suppressor, perhaps? So our buddies over at Amtec Suppressors did a cool study a few years ago. Adam Reiser uh, worked there at the time and did kind of a kind of a neat thing about how suppressors can affect your accuracy. And so there's a lot of people that, I think, I think they, it's probably the same type of personality that's like, I don't own a suppressor because it's a year wait, right? Like they're just not pro suppressor anyways. So they're probably not really seeking out information to make a case for suppressors. But there's a lot of people that say, oh, they don't, they affect your accuracy or it's a tuning device that I'm putting on the barrel. It's not going to shoot the same. So the guys at Amtac that did this study and what they found was that if, you tune a load, like if you're hand-loading a rifle, and you go through, and you guys talked about this with Nick Laufenberg at one point in time, but if I was shooting my rifle, and I'm going and doing tests for what powder charge I think is going to be optimal, right? So we'll call it like a ladder test that they're sure. going to saying, I'm going to load, okay, if, I think my gun likes somewhere between 41 and 42 grains of powder. And so they'll load some at 41, 41.1. all the way up to 42 grains of powder. And what you're finding there is accuracy nodes, right? That was a word that you guys, I remember somebody liked it a lot, node. Um, But there's an accuracy node. Yeah, (laughs) probably Mark. Uh, 
Big fan. But big fan of the node. Big node fan. That's that point in your barrel's Good harmonics. <laughs> yeah, I can see it. There's a point in your barrel's harmonics where it's going to shoot better based on how fine you tune that load, right? And so what you'll do is you'll do this ladder test. A lot of guys do it at 300 yards where you'll shoot all those different 0.1 or 0.2 increment uh, powder charges of a handload that you're developing. And where it can really start to affect things is if you if you have a load that you've tuned based on harmonics mm-hmm. and you're fine-tuning that load, and now you change the harmonics by putting a suppressor on, right? That's where that's where it can affect accuracy, right? I don't think there's too many suppressor manufacturers, if any, today, that go out and develop a suppressor and put it on a gun, and the gun used to be a, a half-minute gun, and now it's a one-and-a-half-minute. I don't think there's too many companies that sell that suppressor. Right. I, th- I think it's a... I think it's a pretty big black eye if you're a company that suppresses or makes suppressors and you're okay with that big of a decrease in accuracy. But if we were talking like in general, like if you're developing a hand load for a rifle and then you go out and throw a suppressor on it, more often than not, if you develop that load with the suppressor on, this is what they found. If if you develop that load with the suppressor on and it shoots accurately, you can usually take the suppressor off and it's still a good load. However, if you develop a load without a suppressor and then you go put a suppressor on, it it can have different effects. Mm-hmm. But that's, again, that's only speaking in terms of people who are hand-loading. So now you have to think the average guy who goes out and buys off-the-shelf ammo from a, from a retailer right. um, and says, okay, I'm going to shoot these three or four different types of ammo and see which one shoots the best. I would say you probably want to shoot it with a suppressor if you're intending to use a suppressor with it. Because right. if we're just finding out, like, we can all say, like, oh, this brand of gun shoots really well, or this brand of gun is known for accuracy. Okay, if we're doing that and we're going out and we've found a few different types of ammo that shoot well, you probably would want to test it the groups with the suppressor too, rather than just saying, oh, the suppressor isn't going to affect it all. Yeah. Because there are, especially with hunting rifles... <laughs> to, to quote Scott, just a hunting rifle, right? Right. There are there are guys with hunting rifles that have thin taper barrels, right? right. I, I, guys aren't usually bringing the the M twenty four, the PRS competition profile barrel out on a hunt. I mean, mm-hmm. that's too much weight; it's excessive. So I would say there's a higher likelihood that it could affect harmonics in something like that than mm-hmm. something that's a really heavy barrel. I'd be curious is in some cases you'd put a suppressor on your rifle that you'd been shooting and it actually would shoot better though. Because if we're talking about harmonics, every barrel is different and every gun is different and every interface of the barrel into the receiver and all mm-hmm. that stuff is different and obviously the loads and stuff that you're shooting. So, you know, and when Ian was talking to us about tuning the rifle and finding that spot in the harmonic where essentially the barrel is traveling on its way back up as your bullet is leaving the end of the barrel your barrel could have been actually less than ideally, the bullet leaving the barrel at a less than ideal time in its harmonics, and then the suppressor could maybe change it to a better time. Yeah, I think that would be... It's just that you kind of have to end up seeing, to your point, if you're going to use a suppressor, it's like many things, don't shoot forever without a suppressor, and then when it comes crunch time, say, all right, I'm going to throw one of these things on here and not practice with it at all and just hope it works. I have a theory about suppressors because there are a lot of people that say suppressors make just like there's a lot of people that say they they don't make your gun more accurate there's a lot of people that say they do make it more accurate right you hear I've both heard, i've heard that as well yeah um, just... and 
I, I tend to hear it from people who have bought a suppressor and started using one. It's like, yeah, my rifle shoots better too. Well, I think we're shooting better without that big explosion, without the noise. That's some suppressors like not this one, but uh, the Omega has a cap on the front that acts as a kind of like a muzzle brake, right? Oh yeah, my a harvester, say, my, uh, uh, harvester, harvester does. Yeah. There's there's so, there's a lot of suppressors now that have a, a brake type thing at the end. Uh, the 419 Precision at Maverick is basically a muzzle brake with a suppressor built in, and I think there's a lot to be said about a gun that is quieter, it's recoiling less, that you shoot it better. Yeah, it's difficult to probably segment out exactly what the net result. Is better shooting, yeah. right, yeah. or or better accuracy? I personally shoot suppressed rifles better. Sure, I can I tell you that agree. I agree. I will I too. When we're down at the indoor range down here, and we're you know doing hunter sight in and getting, you know, at the end of all that, we'll kind of take out our our own rifles and get them sighted in and just double check zero. I have taken suppressors on and taken them off, and I shoot them better. Like mm-hmm. I shoot them better when they're suppressed. It's so much more just comfortable and pleasant. Too. It is. Like sometimes yeah. when I'm shooting a gun that's not suppressed and I know it's going to be loud as hell, I just think to myself, like, ah, here we go. Mm-hmm. Right. But then when you shoot a gun that's suppressed, you're just kind of like, cool, you know, it is what it is. Send it around down range. I know I shoot better or just enjoy my time at the range better when somebody is shooting suppressed. Yeah. You know, speaking of sound and recoil reduction, coming from the guy over there with the 300 the short. antithesis of. Um, <laughs> I think I've got, so I want to talk a little bit about. You know, we're talking about barrel contour, right, or, mm-hmm. or uh, barrel profile. And maybe we've been talking about maybe some of these, like, more sporting-style rifles where you, maybe you are adding some, some weight to that thin um, profile barrel. Does a suppressor have less of a potential for, like, a like a POI shift or, like, on a more, maybe a, a shorter barrel or a more rigid barrel or a heavier contour barrel? Like is I it think are, there, are, are they going to work and rigid? Like a lighter contour hunting barrel tends to be more flexible yeah, than less a palma barrel. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so I think that probably has more to do with it than anything. But also, I think you're starting to get into temperature as well. I think temperature sure. has okay. a, has a factor. Yeah, in this as well. And here's your car analogy for for the podcast. You know, it's like an engine. The cold bore shot is essentially a cold engine. You know, the barrel gets up to an operating temperature, retains heat, and it can run there for a while. And then on the flip side, we also can retain enough heat that it overheats. Yeah. Um, so the more we're holding that energy in in the system by containing the gas, that heat transfers to the barrel faster, too. So on okay. your lighter contour barrels, you're going to see them heat up faster. The faster they heat up, the more you're going to start to see heat stringing in your groups. So, and isn't, okay. isn't there an effect, because I know I've seen it just when shooting, where you're shooting a thinner contour barrel or something, and you know you start out and it's like boom, boom, tight group, tight group, tight group, and then all of a sudden your group starts walking a little mm-hmm. bit higher or a little bit high into the right or a little bit lower or something. So, I've heard that like there's almost a memory to the, to there the metal, is. and as it heats up, it can start to like certain parts of the barrel can have like more tension to them than other parts of the barrel, and yep. as they heat up, they kind of grab and will. Yep. So talking with barrel manufacturers about that, what you really see is there's a couple of different types of things that can happen as a barrel heats up. So number one, it can be the thickness of the material that's around the bore. Mm-hmm. So if we had a 224 bore in a 223, right, 
That bore is drilled through a piece of steel using a big, long drill bit. Now, those drill bits can flex, okay? And so it depends on how the barrel was made sometimes because if the, the barrel manufacturer indexes off of the outer diameter of the barrel or if they're indexing off of the bore cut when they do the profiling, right? If we had, which I'll say this, most barrels probably don't have the bore drilled exactly through the center of the barrel. Most most guns. Okay. And so if you had an area where, let's just say, when they were drilling that bore, the barrel, the, the, the cutter flexed, and it went around a hard spot in the metallurgy, which is another thing that can happen, is barrels can have hard spots. Materials yeah. can be um, not super consistent. So and if they've you got a, a grain to them. Yep, they have grain structure. The grain structure being, you know, how the, how the molecules interlock with each other, right? So if we had a barrel where... There was a hard spot right where the drill bit wanted to go, but it had to deflect a little bit, and so it went around it. There could be a spot there in the barrel where the bore of the barrel is not directly through the center when we're measuring off the outer diameter. So now we have a thick spot and a thin spot, and when we heat the barrel up, it's going to go the the path of least resistance. So it's going to flex towards the thick spot because that's cooler than the, the thinner area. The thinner area would heat up faster, so it's going to deflect towards that direction where the the thicker portion yeah. of the wall would be. And this is all like microscopic. You're I'm not going to look down your barrel and have it look like you're looking down a silly straw. No, but it's not probably as microscopic as you'd think. Um, really? It can be it can be fairly yeah, and if you get into the real minutia of reading some gunsmiths and different guys that build rifles, they'll only use a certain type of barrel because of the way that the barrel manufacturer measures or they'll huh. only use a certain type of barrel because he uses the best metal or the best the most consistent metal there's no hard spots or you'll hear a gunsmith say when i use this brand barrel i've never had a hard spot when i'm threading it versus this other one where there's inconsistencies in the metallurgy and he might have a hard spot or a brittle spot or something so when you guys talked to ian a little bit about barrels he talked about like not using fluted barrels right the same thing can happen with fluting. Oh, sure, is right. When you're cutting those flutes in, if it's not exactly on each, you know, you're not stress relieving on exactly on each flute, yeah. it can flex towards the area of least resistance again. So that type of thing, I think you're going to see the thinner bro the thinner barrel profiles start to shift faster because those there's there's less mass and there's a higher percentage of I guess the thick spot is thicker in terms of percentage than it is in relating to the barrel diameter, if it's a thinner barrel diameter. Gotcha. So that can all happen, and then if we put a suppressor on a barrel that's already shifting, that can be translated as it's because of the suppressor. Yeah. Versus if we start to, like an MTU, an M24, a proof competition contour, any barrels that are thick and heavy, and typically the shorter the barrel, the more rigid it is too, Mm But thicker, heavier barrels are going to take longer to heat up and thus take longer to start shifting. And as being more rigid because of having more material, if you put a 15-ounce suppressor on a 4-pound barrel, it's going to be different than putting a 15-ounce suppressor on a 22-ounce barrel. Right. Absolutely. Right. Makes total sense. The funny thing as we discuss this is I, I recall originally coming into firearms and 
coming from, and I've, I've brought it up a few times in this because I know, like, you know, you mentioned Call of Duty and stuff, and the video games that you play, and some of the little stat bars that you get when you add on little accessories or you change your gun setup. And I remember that the funny thing was that when you played Call of Duty, when you would put a suppressor on your rifle, it was cool because I guess when you shot, nobody could see the little red dot on the map because, you know, you're being quiet, so nobody knew where your shot came from. You, you wouldn't be detected by bad guys. But uh, it did on the stats bar say that your range, your effective range of the weapon was decreased. Hmm. So I always remember coming in thinking like, oh, if you put a suppressor in, you're gonna, you can't shoot as far. Right. And uh, I just thought, you know, because Call of Duty doesn't lie. They, right, of course. Say, they know the f- gun physics and they know how it all works. But uh, but but that that would go into, I mean, that would go into a lot of things. But just speaking of range and in terms of, you know, long range if Efficacy, I think, is the word. Effect, effectiveness. 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 Yes. yes. Yep. Anyway, but you talk about things like uh, BC, and you talk about things like muzzle velocity. How does that stuff get affected when you put a suppressor on the end of your rifle? Because I'm thinking, people talk about a longer barrel, and they talk about longer time where the bullet is under pressure, getting pushed out the barrel. In theory, you get longer barrels, you get higher muzzle velocities. Higher muzzle velocities. I mean, people seem to be chasing those things all the time. Like, oh, it's got a super high muzzle velocity. It's really flat shooting, or it'll get me out really far because it's you know it's really zippy, or something like that. How how could that stuff change? As you're you're almost kind of making your barrel longer. There's more pressure behind the bullet. It seemed for a longer time. But but the bullet's in flight at that point. When the bullet so leaves the muzzle okay. of your barrel, it is in flight. Nothing's touching it anymore. Okay. Um, I tend to think of it as like um those revolving doors on a high-rise building. Yes. You know, where they're... they're oh, like from Home Alone. Yeah. Why do yeah. high-rise buildings never have regular doors? Because the building is, you know, climate-controlled, so that's pressurized. When the temperature is different outside, the difference in pressure would create, like, a wind out the door. It would, like, it would push you out the door like a bullet. Oh, so, that's interesting. So they're moderating... How much air gets let out of the building at a time? They let it out in. Are you st- are you making this up? No, that's actually. Fa- I thought I, you were I, just going to yeah. say because it was just kind of cool and yeah. it was like an eighties thing. I thought it was something. a theory. But no, no, but Look yeah. So it's it's one little pocket of air that gets let out instead oh, no. of the whole building allowing to dump its pressure out. That's really considerate of building owners, though. That's really nice of yeah. them. And when people are like coming and going a lot, like SHOT Show Week in Vegas, when they have the side doors open, well, they're like, well, it's it's too much. You know, we can't control it. But when it's lower volume, it. they can keep everything in. Yeah, yeah. But you can feel that when you go of like out. You're like, you get yeah. to that area, it's like, whoo. And that's, and that's what a suppressor does. I think, getting back to accuracy, I think it allows the bullet to initiate its flight in a more controlled environment, instead of just jumping outside where, you know, the wind may be gusting or something, it kind of gets a running start at the atmosphere before it gets out the end of the can. Mm, interesting. So it's a more stable air environment. But it's not doing anything as far as, well, I shouldn't say, uh, this is just me speculating, but I actually have heard some, some things like, it makes your muzzle velocity greater. Or it makes your velocity at the muzzle, it doesn't change at all. If, it, or, if well, it does that, I think we're getting at, we're back to the temperature thing. Like okay. we're changing the operating temperature of the barrel, so the burn rate on the powder is changing. Okay. Oh. In a warm barrel versus a cold barrel. Okay. Yeah. I, I, have, why. <laughs> I, have a, I have a hard time thinking that, well, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not a, a suppressor engineer. So, but like... 
here's something that a lot of times people say. So does it affect my bullet if I'm shooting into a 10 mile an hour wind? Right. So the whole question of like, what happens when you shoot into a headwind? So, Oh, okay. Wind is coming at your face. Yep. And you're so, right so a lot of times you'll hear people say like, does that affect my ballistics? Because I'm, the wind is against me versus a tailwind. Okay. So do something sometime convert feet per second into miles per hour and see how many feet per second 10 miles an hour is. It's such a tiny percentage of the velocity overall. Somebody will have to do the calculation, but like I got you. shooting into a 10 mile an hour wind versus shooting into a zero mile an hour wind is not going to affect your dope because of the headwind slowing your bullet down. It's going to affect your dope because of how the, the wind is affecting the bullet in flight, right? 14.6 feet per second. Yeah, so if we were shooting, right, so in a case of a 6.5 Creedmoor, we're talking 2750 versus 2764. If -hmm. you're shooting with a 10-mile-an-hour tailwind, it's not affecting your ballistics a ton. Actually, it's kind of within your, like, standard deviation somewhat, right? It's like you're you're already accepting changes that are that small. I don't know. I don't accept anything over single-digit SDs, so. Look at you. That's impressive. But... So when when PRSing. when we're <laughs> <laughs> when we're when we're talking about like the bullet being pushed faster because of the extra back pressure, I don't think that's enough of. Uh, if you held your hand in front of a gun when the bullet was going off, not recommend. No, nope, um, we don't recommend that. Do no, not but, do it at home. But in theory, but solely the pressure versus the actual pressure built up in the barrel. You're talking. 60,000 PSI of pressure following the bullet down the barrel versus the added pressure of having a suppressor giving a little extra puff mm-hmm. increasing the speed that wouldn't that wouldn't happen. It could delay it for another 6 inches, right? It could delay you actually having to deal with the atmosphere for another 6 inches because there is no atmosphere inside of a hot can. It's just hot gases mm-hmm. as it's not meeting oxygen yet. It's not meeting our atmosphere yet. So you could say that it's another six inches of unaffected no turbulence right mm-hmm. um or not it's not fighting the crosswind for another six inches so that could mm-hmm. be but i don't think it's enough because i've never actually witnessed an increase in velocity okay in, in chronographing you don't be super i've cool. yet to see that you don't be super cool as if you could make a suppressor that was sort of like uh one of those accordion kind of tube things and it just came out of your gun all the way to the target in the shape of your ballistics curve, and then that way when you shot, your bullet never had to see atmosphere. Like a slinky. Yeah, like a big slinky, but with (laughs) netting between all the little (laughs) slinky pieces, and then that way it would never have to see atmosphere all the way to the target. That's really smart. Super practical. Yeah. So when you're talking... So they're going to call that the J-can because Jimmy came up with it instead of the K-can. You're welcome, suppressor (laughs) industry. So you're talking about essentially... Don't call it the Jimmy, though. Not dealing... (laughs) <laughs> Thank lost James. my train of thought. Think with your dipstick, Jimmy. Uh, okay, so we're talking about. I'm trying to wrap my head around the suppressor here. So you're talking about essentially not there not being an atmosphere inside the suppressor, right? So first round pop, right? So Adam mentioned so, that earlier. So that's what I want to jump back yeah. to. So like right now, there's if, atmosphere in this suppressor. There okay. is. Okay, that's so, that's what I was trying to clarify. Yeah. So, so we've also heard of wet suppressors, right? Right. So, like a wet suppressor being one that you fill with a gel, 
most of the times guys use them on handguns and handguns with fairly lower pressures. Mm -hmm. So like a 45 or a 40 or something like that. But you can actually get wet suppressors and you buy the gel and you fill them up so that they don't have a first round pop of when that hot gas meets the oxygen, the atmosphere in your can and ignites it and burns Mm -hmm. it. Right. How do you keep the gel in the suppressor? They have wipes. They'll have wipes in them. Oh, yeah. Okay. Rubber gaskets that hold it in. But yeah, that's like the. Didn't the well rod? It wasn't that a wet suppressor? The VP9. Yeah. Yep. And the OG well rod too, right? Yes. I think. Yes. So that was the veterinarian pistol. Yeah. Favorite gun ever. Um, super cool gun. Uh, B&T has one now. And yes, the VP9. I really want I one. must have. But yeah, so the B&T, please after send. like the first shot, that's the suppressor is going to get a little quieter. And that's kind of what I was getting at. It's mm-hmm. like I don't, I don't think that after the first round, your velocity would be affected at all because it's passing through neutral space. But yeah, when it's it more, smacks into yeah. that that stag that like stagnant atmosphere yeah, yeah. in the suppressor, that's when you get that pop. First round pop. Yeah. Yep. It's pushing all of it out. Yep. But as as it you burns displace it that, or it burns it with, okay. with burnt gases, and it heats up a little bit, you're starting to have a little bit more of a controlled combustion chamber, if you will, because there's still powder burning at that point usually. So that consistency is more coming from a controlled burning atmosphere mm-hmm. than anything. Okay, whereas, right. whereas when it's cold, it's still got oxygen in there. So there's, it's not atmosphere. Atmosphere, yeah. yeah. How, um, you brought up over the barrel suppressors earlier. Mm-hmm. And you brought up how, um, you know, with the uh, MK something something, uh, they ma- they wanted it to not have any POI shift when put on or mm-hmm. taken off. Yep. And for that, they used this over the barrel method and mm-hmm. then it indexed against like a shoulder or something. Yep. So over the barrel suppressors, the idea is that all the volume, instead of sticking out on the front of your gun, way out in front of the barrel, they bring the volume back over the barrel, mm-hmm. right? So then essentially they're still the same, or you know, theoretically the same, around the same volume you'd have with a regular can, mm-hmm. but it's just in a different spot. Yep. That's kind of already being taken up by barrel and handguard and whatever else. I think a lot of times over the barrel suppressors, aside from a Mark 12 can, a lot of times it's made so that you can have a suppressor that goes forward less distance. Right. But you're using the volume behind it. So I have, right. a, I have an Amtac Mantis uh, not or a Hornet, and that's basically like two and a half inches in front of the barrel and six inches behind it. So yeah. it's like an eight-inch can, but it only adds a couple inches to the end of the barrel. So here's a question hmm. for you then. That bullet is not traveling through as much of this uh, atmospheric dead zone as uh, out in front of the barrel suppressor. It only has like two and a half inches of this little yes. space. But all the space behind it is just more being used for suppression, I mean, of the sound. Yes. Is there any difference then in terms of accuracy of sticking out the front suppressors versus over the barrel suppressors? You know, because I could also see how it's maybe... Leverage. Mm-hmm. And over the barrel suppressor, it yeah, like you said, leverage. It's not it's not hanging off so much. It doesn't mm-hmm. have much of a lever arm to affect the barrel. I don't know if it would do anything to rigidity because that suppressor isn't touching the barrel, right? Or is it? No, it's not touching. No, it. so it's, it's not, not it's not effectively increasing the diameter of the barrel because it's not touching. So it's just. I would say because by and large the industry has gone away from. Over barrel suppressors, I would say it's 
it's more dated technology at this point. Mm-hmm. Not completely irrelevant, but you it don't see a whole lot of it. It seems to make sense to me. It does make a lot of sense, but, like, I mean, the Mark 12 program was 25 years ago already. So, yeah, like, if, if there would have been something to it, they would have kept going with it, where instead they kind of seem to have moved away well, from it. Well, there's definitely a lot of advancements in manufacturing technology that allow them that to, and measuring, right? And, like, like the the fixtures that you can test something on are so much more advanced. And, like, like when you go down to metrology and you see the machines that they use to measure tolerances on oh parts, gosh. like, that didn't exist 30 years ago. So they can not only look at a suppressor's design, but they can actually draw up a suppressor in SolidWorks and do a theoretical, like using basically using a, the flow of pressure. There's, uh, I can't ever remember the name of the, the program, but 10 years ago or so there was uh, online, you could go on uh, and design like your own muzzle brake or like different parts because they had like actual, like uh, a software that you could measure pressure in, you know, PSI input that in and then watch the the gas pressure follow that or a theoretical type of pressure follow that mm-hmm. quote unquote projectile out and so there's a there's a lot where guys were doing kind of like a flow diagram of like how each muzzle device in the three gun world was working and like which one was hypothetically more effective and which one was actually more effective but that i mean they can do that on solid works they can do that on programs right like that didn't used to exist so i think before they'd come up with something that was quiet but it had issues like with point mm-hmm. of aimship and this like what can we do to fix this existing product and make it work right mm-hmm. and i'm not saying that that's exactly what the company did but i think that there's probably a lot more technology in terms of manufacturing now where they can figure out what is causing a shift or inaccuracy issue and change it without having to change the way it mounts to the gun or something like mm-hmm. that Yep. Even still, I just feel like over the barrel would make sense because you don't have stuff sticking off the front. Well, there's a couple of negatives of to it, too. Yeah, there's a couple of negatives to it, too. So, A, it's coming back over your barrel. So, how far can you on this AR-15 running over the barrel suppressor? Not far until I run in my gas block. Yeah, not far. Or I have the to gas get a block. really big handguard. Um, yep. You also got to get a different handguard, or your handguard is now a 10-inch handguard instead of a 15 yeah. So you're losing real estate on your handguard because the suppressor didn't index and go inside of your handguard. Gotcha. Um, the other thing that happens is it insulates the barrel. So the barrel is going to stay hotter because that is basically an insulating glove that goes over the barrel. Sure. Makes sense. So they don't cool off as fast. Hmm. I've got one. It's really cool. It doesn't add a lot of length to the gun, and it's quiet, but it's a 9 mil suppressor. It's not dealing with the pressures that a rifle suppressor is. Yeah. So I like suppressors. Suppressors are cool. They are pretty cool. Here's here's a question. I'm 100% spitballing here as a not physicist. But suppressors are I guess if I if you stripped it away and you looked at the inside they're rather conical in shape. The uh the baffles inside, right? Yeah, it looks like a funnel, a bunch yeah. of funnels stacked. The overall shape of it is like a big can, like a big tube. Yep. Right. If you wanted your gases to do like escape out the front and not out the back, wouldn't they make it kind of more like a smokestack shape where it got thinner towards the end of the suppressor and it was thicker back at the back of it so you could take advantage of like Venturi? There's a company called Jesse James Firearms Unlimited, uh, JJFU, who has a football shaped suppressor where um, okay. it actually, and this is again, it's not something that's been widely accepted by the rest of the suppressor industry, so I'm not sure how effective it is. I've never shot one, but they do sell them, and it's a football-shaped suppressor that... It's um, probably harder to make. 
Yeah, I think it's harder to manufacture for sure. If you look at the orientation on the gun too, it's going to have to index perfectly every time because it's not it's not very symmetrical, I guess. It's hmm. it's different shaped based on where you have it tightened onto the gun. So okay. I think mounting is probably a little more critical where how it mounts and how it indexes but yeah that's a football shape so it starts out narrow it gets wide and then cones back down at the end okay if you look at a company like oss suppressors they have a completely different philosophy on suppression and that's uh, what they kind of call flow through suppression and that's basically creating a suppressor that instead of having a series of k baffles or cone baffles that stack on each other they've got what can best be described as like a reverse jet engine Mm-hmm. So as that gas enters the first blast chamber, it gets vented out to the outer part of the suppressor. And then once it hits the end of the suppressor, it goes in and then back and then back towards the bore and then back out. And what happens is it creates this like gas flow that as the gas comes out, it gets redirected to the outside of the can, then a little bit more in and then out and it gets vented out the front through a series of holes. So they're slowing the gas down. I was going to say, is that decelerating it? Yes, yes, 100%. And as it's being redirected in a linear fashion, Mm -hmm. it's also being redirected, I guess, trying to figure out how to put it, but it's also being spun, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's circling around the center. It's got to be pretty difficult for the gas to get back the wrong way through the suppressor too because it's... Where a jet engine is forcing the heat towards the center to get thrust, mm-hmm. the OSS suppressor is forcing it to the outside. And, to dissipate and, and it. And dissipating it. And then, mm-hmm. like I said, there are a series of holes in the end of the suppressor as well that, in their case, happen to be angled. Mm-hmm. And so as you shoot, it self-tightens. But when you want to loosen it, it's just hand tight. So when you want to mm-hmm. take it off, it's not super tight to the point where you can't. But as you're shooting... It's redirecting the gas so that it spins it onto the collar. I'd assume still wait till it cools off to do that. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, I would. But in the case that, in the case that you didn't tighten your suppressor all the way, it'll automatically tighten it for you. Yeah, OSS wow. cans don't come loose. Is there? That doesn't make it. I'm confused. The way you're describing Somewhere that that here. gas flow, if you will. Oh, now I get it. Yeah, because your shirt. Thanks. It still does it have a. Does it have a different type of back pressure, and is it inclined to maybe run cleaner? It is, and that's what they sell it on. That's the okay. Yes, that's the. So there is a trade-off, though, and that's that the decibel reduction rating isn't as high as many other suppressor oh, manufacturers. Gotcha. Hmm. And I'm not endorsing or not endorsing any companies. I'm just saying there's right there's suppressors that you would buy because it's reduced back pressure, and it runs your gun cleaner. And then there's a suppressor that I would buy for something else that I want it to be quieter. Mm-hmm. So like there's there's definitely like no right answer. It's all based on application, just like almost everything you talk right. about. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. But, but if you if you cut them in half, they look like something out of Star Wars. Like they they'll send the little schematics really cool. of them cut. They're really cool. But yeah, it's it makes my head hurt. I I went and tried to figure out how jet engines work so that I could reverse it and try to figure out how <laughs> understand how OSS pressers work. <laughs> You got any uh, jet engine project projects in the works yet? I don't. I mm. don't. Did Map, watch SpaceX, Map is hard. Though. Yeah. Yeah. I the... watch Spaceballs. That's a good one, too. <laughs> That's where I'm at. 
<laughs> I didn't figure out jet engine. Just I hate it when my Schwartz gets twisted. <laughs> if you just get a big enough knob that says ludicrous speed on one side, <laughs> that's a good you, idea for a safety selector. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Well, this, oh this, okay, so here's another this one. This has I'll throw been enlightening. Throw no, it out. We're not throw it out yet. there. All right, I'm, not I'm ready to be enlightened. Just getting started. Yeah. So now we can talk about the shifts. So please do. We've seen a lot of weird like things in mounting a lot of suppressors to a lot of guns. Okay, because if you're like Adam or me, you look at a gun and you think to yourself, "Can it take a suppressor?" And if the answer is no, it's not really a cool gun anymore. Nope. And B, what kind of suppressor should I put on that gun? So that's like a. I almost look at a firearm now as like a, a suppressor host. It's yes, it's what, just a what means, optic can I put on that, and what suppressor for can a I suppressor use? to be used? Yeah, well, yeah, and I and I I'd assume like some marry better than others. It's almost like oh, a yeah. uh, like when you're like finding the right load for your firearm, yeah. right? Like Dude, oh, it shoots this one better. Does any, for your truck. Does any suppressor company have like a Tinder app? For their suppressors, like, like swipe you can right, just swipe right <laughs> on a gun. You know, like hey, check oh, out this gun. Swipe, I'll I'll say, le- swipe left. On there. I'll have to ask somebody who uses Tinder how that works. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how that works. Uh, what were you talking about though? <laughs> Shifts. Shifts. Um, so how do you choose the right suppressor for a gun? Then you so, just you have to okay, establish so, what you're gonna do with it and what you want, right? So when you this is for the listener. So when you're picking out a suppressor, listener, pay attention. Yeah. You're gonna to want to hear this when you're picking let's out, out a suppressor. Some random, <laughs> let's throw out some random listener's name. Jeff, pay attention. Yeah, when you're picking out a suppressor and you see, okay, so you go to your buddy's house and he's like, "Dude, check out the suppressor," and you're like, you shoot it and you're like, "Whoa, it has like zero point of impact shift. That's awesome." Okay, don't just take that for gospel because it's gonna be different on every gun. So I've seen this where you take a rifle and you zero it, and it's shooting great, and then you throw a suppressor on it, and it's like, this suppressor shifts my point of impact 1.2 minutes low. Okay, that makes sense. I just hung a weight on the end of the gun, and so now I'm hitting low. Okay, so now let's apply that to a different gun, and you take that suppressor, and you put it on a different gun that's zeroed, and it shifts it three minutes high. Okay, that type of thing can happen because... Let's just say that when you hang a suppressor on a gun, the barrel might be thinner, it might be heavier. It can shift it differently. Mm-hmm. But if the suppressor is only shifting up and down, that doesn't mean that it's going to shift it only up and down on every gun. Because let's just say you mount it. Let's just say the suppressor actually has a point of impact shift of 2 MOA up, but then you have weight on the barrel and that's going to shift you down an MOA down, so then the actual net shift is only one MOA up. Now you pair that with a different gun where the suppressor is oriented differently on the gun based on your type of mounting device or if it's a direct thread and it spins another half turn on a different gun versus spinning, you know, whatever. You can have the suppressor, like, shift a certain amount, but then you have to measure that with how it's weighing the barrel and so, like, don't ever look at a suppressor and think, like, oh, it, it doesn't have any shift. Because it might weigh the barrel down an MOA, but it also might shift up an MOA based or left or right, depending on how it's timed on your barrel. So the timing is everything. And how does also, one time, everything. whenever I look at a suppressor, like generally speaking, really. they, look pretty, um, they look pretty symmetrical, if that's the right word. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, so how do you, uh, 
do you ever know if it's timed up properly, or do you just put it on wherever it's tight, and then you just however it's timed, it's how it's timed, and you well, account for it? So you could have a muzzle device like the Silencer Co. Spec War three prong flash hider. You can. Oh, I don't have the three prong flash hider. On you probably one. have the muzzle devi- muzzle yeah. brake. Yeah. Okay. Well, muzzle brake will work too. So if we take this and see the muzzle device doesn't yep. have an up or down. Right, just has I uh, could rotate. three ports on left uh, yep. and right. So I could rotate this 180 degrees, right? Oh, yeah. You wouldn't. I could, though. Don't, Don't tempt, tempt me. me. You would. I could. And if I did, and I just used a different set of shims on there, my point of impact shift when I throw the suppressor on could be completely different based totally on how different. you time it on there. So if you have a muzzle device that doesn't require proper timing, like a Spec Wars three-prong, I think they call it a trifecta, where you just throw it on and you don't use any shims at all, and you just throw it on because you're like, well, it doesn't actually look like it needs to go a certain orientation. Yeah. And you throw it on, tighten it on, and your suppressor is like 4.5 M away right and low. But then if you would have actually timed that muzzle device so that you could balance out the shift from the weight on the barrel and the shift from the actual point of impact shift. So now you have a minimal effect because it, what you're dealing with now is like, okay, well, whenever I put my suppressor on, I have to dial up three, three M away and left four M away versus if you got it where it was just a high shift or just a low shift, all you'd have to do is spin your elevation one way. Right. I guess what I'm getting at is that there's, you're always going to almost have two different types of shift unless the suppressor truly has no point of impact shift from turbulence. Then you're just dealing with hanging a weight on the end of the gun. And I feel mm-hmm. I feel like this POI shift that we're talking about is like it's like when you're transitioning from one to the like unsuppressed to suppressed or back. Are there are there guns that you guys have that you essentially just always shoot suppressed? So you sight it in suppressed and off you go. I've got one of those. Yeah, Our Ruger American has never been shot unsuppressed. <laughs> I'll also say this. I run into very, very few suppressors that don't have a point of impact shift, but I, ru- but I run into very, very few suppressors that have a negative effect on accuracy. Right. I don't see too many suppressors. I, I can't even think of one right now that made my gun shoot a bigger group. Right. It's I've I've had that happen one time. Yeah. And Did that you... and that suppressor was replaced under warranty. Oh, okay. Interesting. The other yeah. thing to watch out for too, if you're that person who's just swearing at the your headphones right now because we didn't acknowledge that suppressors can make your gun less accurate, they can, especially if you have a baffle strike. And if you have a firearm that was had a muzzle threaded and it wasn't concentric to the bore of your firearm, you can have baffle strikes even if you don't think you're having baffle strikes. Yeah, it doesn't because have to it be can violent. just very ever so slightly skip off of one of the baffles or off of the the end cap, and you can have a gun that shoots great without a suppressor and it shoots horrible with a suppressor. Looking but at you, crush a lot guy. of the times it's because crush washer guy. <laughs> Either A, the muzzle device was mounted with a crush washer and not with the shims, and they didn't use alignment rods when they were checking um, the the bore, right? Why does a crush washer cause the problem and not shims? Because a crush washer, typically, uh, just speaking in general, crush washers are not as consistent on how they 
because what it's, it's doing is actually you're deforming the washer. Yeah. And if you so had, it applies pressure to then keep your threads mashed up against one another so they don't. Most often, crush, crush washers are used because you have a de- muzzle device that needs to be orientated in a certain way, and you can't always guarantee that your timing is exactly the same on every gun because the threading on every barrel is not the same. So most of the time, you would use a crush washer for ease of installation of a muzzle device that requires timing. Okay. Gotcha. The other thing that you can use, like most suppressor manufacturers that use some sort of quick-attach device or quick release are going to include shims. And so you can time your muzzle device accordingly, right? And you can still achieve a baffle strike even if you're using shims instead of a crush washer if your threads were not threaded concentric to your bore. Okay, so the shorter cans don't have that problem as much. And especially if you run like a 30 cal can on a 223, I don't you, you don't hear a lot of baffle strikes mm-hmm. in that in that instance. Yeah. However, if you're running a suppressor with a bore very similar to the bullet diameter, like a 223 can and you're shooting a 223, there's only 10 to 20 thousandths of clearance on each side of the bullet. So it's creating a pretty good gas seal as the bullet goes through and it's creating a better tone. However, if your bore, um, even, even some factory made guns uh, in a kind of a budget line might not have the threads concentric. So you can use a series of shims that have varying thicknesses on one side or the other, or in that case, you might just want to get your barrel rethreaded. But if you're having a baffle strike, you can see, yeah, I mean, that's like, in, 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 I've had it before. So, like, didn't realize my muzzle threads weren't cut concentrically, concentrically, concentric, whatever. Shot a bunch of rounds, took the suppressor off, and had copper shavings, like, coming out of the suppressor. And oh, I'm like, goodness what's that all about? You know, and then you go back and you kind of look at it and it's like, well, my suppressor wasn't shouldering tight up against the the barrel shoulder, which is another benefit of having that kind of that taper lock system. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, okay. no, you can, you can absolutely see negative ac- effects on accuracy when you throw a suppressor on, if you're having some sort of baffle strike. How, is how would a pr- there, we're going to ask the same question. Okay. <laughs> is there a way to detect baffle strikes if they're not majorly violent baffle strikes before it turns into shavings coming out of the end of your If you're trying to save money, take your whatever t- diameter cleaning rod that your gun uses, and, you know, if you're running a 270, then buy a 270 cleaning rod. Like, don't use a 22 caliber cleaning rod and a 30 out 6 because you're not going to get any type of it's going to wobble a lot and mm-hmm. it's not going to give you in a good indicator of the bore direction or the the concentricity of the bore but if you're running a 223 an AR or whatever get a muzzle or a sorry a a cleaning rod that's that same diameter or similar made for that caliber and just see how close it is cuz you're not going to get a lot of wobble in that but you can take it a step further and Surefire and I believe Brownells and Midway all sell uh, alignment tools. So it's a, it will literally be the same diameter as your bore and you put that down in the bore once you've got the suppressor mounted and you'll be able to see if you're having baffle strikes. Huh. It's like doing a clutch. <laughs> yes. I'll trust you on yeah, that. I, I don't know how that works. I don't, I don't know how clutch works. Actually. Oh. There's clutch alignment tools that you stick down the into um, your crankshaft, and then it aligns oh. the clutch and the pressure plate. Cool. Then you can, yeah. Yeah, so it's like a clutch al- clutch alignment tool for your barrel. Yeah, to that's put, really neat. To put it in, uh, you know, to put it in terms, terms that no one else understands. Yeah. Sorry. 
besides besides people. I know what'll help people like understand. Me. I know what'll help. Yeah, only something that you know people like me understand. Anyway, uh, cool. All right. Yeah. So that that's probably. One I guess of I'm them. lucky. I haven't had any baffle strikes. I haven't even checked. I would say it's probably one of the number one reasons why people would see accuracy degradation with the application of a suppressor is because they're they're having baffle strikes. I would Nobody say likes that. most suppressors on the market installed the way the directions say a person won't ever encounter baffle strikes. Yeah. I've only encountered one when somebody shot the wrong caliber bullet through my gun. Uh, I was there. Hey, here's another thing. Um, it wasn't that bad. Nothing, no, nothing no, happened. It wasn't terrible. Here's it a, sounds bad. But it sounds I'm way worse than it, it was. Still bad. got the case. Okay. <laughs> here's a benefit of buying a suppressor that was made for the right in the right application. So I have a few AKs, and I like AKs. And yeah. the bad part oh, about AKs... Oh, oh, they're really hard to get suppressed. The bad part about AKs is that a lot of the times the muzzle device was... Uh, the muzzle threads are not concentric to the bore. And so I went, and instead of taking my nice 30 cal suppressor that I shoot on a lot of different guns, I took and went and got the Wolverine from Dead Air, which is actually made for use on AKs. And so it has those tolerances built in. So it's a bigger bore diameter than it needs to be, but it's made so that on most AKs that you would mount it on, the variance in muzzle thread concentricity to the bore is not enough so that it's going to give you a baffle strike. Gotcha. And that's where it's an application-based suppressor. And, yeah, it costs money and it costs a tax stamp, but it's for an AK. It's like buying the lightweight hunting rifle and having a thin profile barrel. Don't go and buy the big 16-inch suppressor, right? right? Buy the one that's made for what you're doing. Makes perfect sense. I have, I have suppressor envy of Ruben's Wolverine, if we're terribly honest. That's the thing. Yeah. It can be. It affects a lot I of I have people. a lot of suppressor envy. And most any time I look at any of the suppressor companies' Instagram pages. Yeah, I think they're so I cool. think suppressors are just so cool because they're there's like you can look at a suppressor and be like, Oh, that's that's neat. Yeah, that's a cool suppressor. But then when you look at like a suppressor that's purpose made for a certain type of gun, you're like, Oh, that's cool. Or just when you shoot with a suppressor, it's just like, oh, you can relax when you shoot with a suppressor, in my opinion. Yeah. I'm just like, this is nice. Especially after, I mean, you guys have had so many more experiences than I, but I just remember going to Range Day at Chacho Show when the UH-1 came out. We were next to a booth with oh. very violent muzzle brakes, and it was like Bad. eight hours of getting punched in the face. Yeah, the, the I, concussion. I think I was actually, I, I think I had a concussion. I, I think I remember Mark saying, I was concussed. I, I think w- I remember <laughs> one of my eyes felt like it was sticking out of my head further than the other eye. I, w- I, was, not, I was not right. At the end of that day, like no. I was like shell shocked from yeah. it. Seriously, it's like on the other guys when the building explodes. Yeah, it was like I that. have soft tissue damage. I yeah, it was like when the one guy with the AR-15 talks about you know like getting the PTSD okay, from the AR-15. It wasn't, and then all of a sudden, yeah, it wasn't it was like, like that. Boom. <laughs> Mark still hasn't fully recovered. Uh, <laughs> oh man, suppressors yeah, are cool. That's a good video though. It is pretty fun. <laughs> all right. I feel like uh, we did. We did. We had some good conversation here about suppressors. Certainly, I don't know. There may be other things out there that people are curious about. Uh, other questions that you got from Call of Duty, even perhaps like me. But yeah, for those listening out there, definitely hit us up as usual in the comments below on this YouTube video if you're watching it, or on Instagram at Vortex Nation Podcast, or I don't know any other way. 
we'll all also somehow get back to you too. But uh, Rube, Adam, Suppressor Boys, Can you, Boys, the Suppressor Boys, B O I S, Can Boys. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming you on. Know my name. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks thanks for having us. Bye, everybody. See Bye, everybody. All right, that'll wrap it up for this episode of the Vortex Nation podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hit that subscribe button so you can always stay up to date on the latest happenings over here at the Vortex Nation podcast. Leave us a review or comment down below. We want to hear what you have to say about the show, maybe what you like, maybe what you didn't like, so that way we can make these podcasts as good as they can be. You can also follow us on Instagram at Vortex Nation Podcast. We'll be posting about each episode released, so that way you can go back, find these things, maybe grab a little nugget of information that you can take with you to the range, out in the field, or uh, maybe to the kitchen if we're talking about some good food. So again, everybody, thanks, and happy hunting and shooting. We appreciate it. Have a good one.